Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Turn to Acts chapter 24. We're going to look at a, a shorter passage this morning, verses 24 through 27, but I think there's, a, there's, there's just something beautiful about this passage. It's, it's not only a role modeling passage, it's what, it's what Paul was doing, what he was um, participating in all the time, sharing the gospel of grace. And it wasn't just with words, it was with his life as well. And this morning, as, as we look at this, as Paul has falsely been accused, um, put his life on the line so many times for the gospel, and now is under house arrest, false charges, all the rest of this. The idea is pretty simple here, and I think it is Christ alone is able to save. You know, for believers, when we sing the songs that we just had the opportunity of singing, and we're able to pour our hearts out in gratitude to the Lord because we know what we were without him. We know what we would be without him. We know what God has meant to us. We know when we talk about the Lord being powerful to save, mighty. We know that desperation. Right? And in the midst of it, when we start to praise the Lamb, Boy, there's something in us that just comes up in a way that it's hard to explain to people. Amen? Because we, we know if it weren't for the Lord Jesus Christ himself, we wouldn't have any hope. We'd be wandering. We'd be forlorn. We'd be chasing after things that ultimately are going to perish and pass away. We wouldn't have any future idea of eternity. or We wouldn't have any of those things. The relationships that we have. I know I can look at my life and I can look at my family and I can look at the the things that God has blessed me and the intangible things. And I just know, man, if it weren't for the Lord, if it weren't for the Lord, and praise God, Christ alone is able to save. Three things this morning as we look at this. First of all, his salvation is by faith. It's not by works. Go ahead, try. Seriously. You, 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 you want to work hard enough? You want to hit your head against that metal wall enough times that you finally come to the conclusion that I can't be good enough? I mean, how many works do you got to do in order to be good enough? You realize how many people are struggling with that? You realize how many unbelievers are struggling with that? Not to mention maybe even some believers sitting here today. How much is enough in order to establish the fact that uh, I really did get saved? Oh, folks, it's a done deal. We learn that in Ephesians. What God has accomplished for us by grace through faith is finished. It's done. And we can move on from that in security because we know that the Lord has done this, not us. But not only is his salvation by faith, his salvation is complete. I I think sometimes we we lose perspective of the the reality that salvation is really uh, something where we come to Christ And we're in Christ, that's a done deal, but now we get to grow in Christ, and one day we're going to get to be with Christ. So there's a a past, there's a present, there's a future, always. Salvation's not just a stagnant thing that we look back on. Salvation is something that takes place literally every day. The fact that we're in Christ is a done deal, but now we get to grow in it. We've already been declared saints. 
(laughs) But now we get to become what God's already declared us to be. And one day, it's going to be revealed. And that's a beautiful truth. So salvation is something uh, full. It's something complete. And his salvation also is able to change lives. Boy, look at the Apostle Paul, right? Look at what God's done in this man's life. Look at how God took him from a guy that was driven and literally throwing Christians into jail, having them killed, persecuting them. And now he's under house arrest, having been falsely accused. And he goes and sits basically at the feet of Felix and Drusilla, and he simply shares with them about the gospel of grace. Wow. If that's not transformation, I don't know what is. So let's look at this. Verse 24 and following in Acts chapter 24. First of all, salvation is by faith. Some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Now this is interesting. I I don't know if you've ever studied about Drusilla a lot, and I don't want to take a whole rabbit trail here in terms of her, but I I think it is interesting. It's very clear that Luke marks this out. Uh, Some of the texts, some of the uh, Greek texts, the Western texts evidently in, in particular, indicate that Drusilla may be the one who got Felix to get Paul to come back in order to share about the way, Christianity, the gospel of grace. So it very well may be that Drusilla was curious because of her past, because of her lineage, because of her heritage, uh, because of her family genealogy. And what a messed up family genealogy this poor girl has. She's the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I, She has two sisters, and in historical records, one of whom was deeply jealous of her beauty. She must have been a knockout, because everybody, all the kings wanted to marry this chick, right? She ended up marrying King Azizus of Emesa, a Syrian, which is odd in and of itself, because she's Jewish. She wasn't to intermarry, but she did. She ended up divorcing him in order to marry Felix, who also had divorced in order to marry Drusilla. And she was probably about 16 to 18 years old when all this took place. Right? So think about that. Wow. There's a lot of other details, and it's a soap opera to be sure. She later died with her son in the eruption of Vesuvius at about uh, 43 years of age. Interesting thought. I don't know what was going through her mind at the time, but she clearly had heard the gospel of grace. Drusilla's great-grandfather was Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great? There's a bunch of Herods. It gets really confusing. Which Herod did what? I'm going to leave that up to you to be good Bereans and go find out all the detail of it. You can look at a genealogy and check out all the different uh, Herods. But Herod the Great, her great-grandfather, was the one who had all the two-year-olds killed when the Magi came to town and he was trying to get rid of Jesus, baby Jesus. Nice guy. How about saying, that's my great-grandfather. Herod Antipas, Herod the Great's 
son, Drusilla's great uncle. I'll let you figure that out too, okay? <laughs> I'm not good with genealogy. Are you good with genealogies? I have to think about this one for a second. It's, it's Drusilla's great uncle. He's the one <laughs> that had John the Baptist beheaded. That Jesus called a fox because he was a part of the whole situation where uh, Jesus was arrested and he was sent to this guy and Herod basically put a robe around him, sent him back to the Romans. Unbelievable. Her father, Herod Agrippa I, had James killed, right? Had him uh, martyred and then imprisoned Peter with the intent to kill him. I mean, you talk about a dysfunctional family, folks. That's the height of dysfunctionality. I mean, I've touched the surface on the murders and the political uh, intrigue that takes place and the way that they cultivated relationships with the Romans in order to make sure that they were placed as kings over Judea. It's unbelievable. The story is just amazing. Somebody ought to write a historical book on it, and I'm sure probably out there somewhere there is one. It's unreal. This is Drusilla's genealogy. So maybe... And I'm reading into it a little bit, but perhaps there was an interest on her part as to the way. We know that Felix understood the way when he was listening uh, to the, the members of the Sanhedrin, Tertullus and the rest that had come in order to make charges against Paul. Uh, it says very clearly that Felix understood some of these things. And, and so he was putting the whole trial on pause until the Roman commander would come and fill it in. And then as all these things begin to take place, he would have Paul come in and sit down and talk to him. And, and Paul would share with him. Drusilla's in the background, evidently, listening to this. And I can't help but think that part of it is because she was very acquainted with the story from the very beginning because her family and in effect, her great-grandfather and her great-uncle and her father had had a lot of interaction, not necessarily in a positive way, with Christians. And here's Paul, who's gone to the Gentiles. Well, it says that he heard. It sent for Paul and heard him speak. The word hear here simply means uh, to hear with perception, to listen. To listen intently, to focus in on it. You, you can hear stuff and, and just completely uh, not be paying attention. I watch some of you do that every week, you know. <laughs> I'm teasing you. I, I, we don't do that. I'm not the NSA. We don't have it on record, okay? <laughs> but you can hear stuff and really not be paying attention at all. Here the indication is that he was zeroed in. He was really listening. He was listening with the intention of understanding. He wanted to understand what was going on. And what was Paul speaking to him about? What was Felix hearing? It says very clearly, faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. What's he talking about? He's talking about salvation. He's talking about faith, which is the persuasion that what God has said is true. It's the idea that I believe that I'm willing to listen to what God has to say, and I'm willing to be persuaded that what he has to say pertains to me. That I need his salvation. 
that I need forgiveness, that what Jesus Christ did for me at the cross by shedding his blood is for me, that the resurrection proves that he's God, that he's divine, that he's Lord, that he's able to save because of who he is. And therefore, I place my faith or my trust in Christ. In Christ, here is an interesting phrase. Uh, It has literally the idea of leading into. We tend to think of being in something. Here the idea is coming into something, coming in. You came from outside in. That's the preposition that's used here. So Paul is emphatically declaring to Felix that it is by faith persuasion that you are led into, and he says, Christ Jesus. Now, why does he use that order? And just as a side note, it's interesting to track this through the whole New Testament. You can see sometimes where it says Jesus Christ, sometimes where it says Christ Jesus. Why the difference? Well, the writer's emphasizing something. Here, he places Christ first because Christ is the title. He's the Messiah. He's the resurrected Lord. And so he's emphasizing salvation is by faith, which will lead into Christ himself, the resurrected Savior, Jesus, the God-man. Anytime it's Jesus Christ, he's emphasizing the God-man. Christ is not his last name. My name is Eric Christensen. That doesn't pertain here. It's not Jesus Christ. It's, It's Jesus who is the Messiah, who's the anointed one, the promised one who is God in the flesh. Beautiful truth. So Paul is speaking to Felix about faith in Christ. Drusilla is in the background, evidently listening intently. Perhaps she had been the one that orchestrated this meeting and she wanted to hear because she's Jewish. And because of all her family history when it came to the interaction with Christians, Felix knows about the way. Now they're getting the great apostle to the Gentiles, speaking to them specifically about faith, belief, trust in Christ Jesus, salvation. This is nothing new for Paul. We've seen this throughout all of Paul's missionary journeys. This is what he did. He would go to the synagogues. He would take the gospel to the Jews first. Then he would go to the Gentiles. We see it over and over and over again. One verse on it, Acts 20, verse 21, he says, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God, acknowledgement of our need of salvation, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Acknowledging the need of of salvation. Acknowledging the reality of my state. And as a result, placing my faith, trusting in Christ Jesus alone for the salvation that he has provided for us. Salvation is by faith. It's not by works. It's not by efforts. It's not by trying to do the right thing at the right time and making sure that our works, good works, outweigh our bad works. It is by grace. It is not deserved and it could never be paid back for. We know that. Ephesians makes that very clear. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. We understand that it is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I I think it's important to understand that what was Paul doing? What is it that was constantly on his mind? And I would suggest it was simply being a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what the circumstance is that the Lord allowed him to be in. 
How many times are we in circumstances that we're always trying to get out of instead of asking the Lord, Lord, you allowed us to be in this circumstance. How do you want us to be used by you in the midst of it? Whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. Right? We, we live in such a, a time-oriented society, a checklist-oriented society. We, we have all these goals, and, we, and <laughs> we, we want to get them accomplished, right? So anything that interferes, we immediately look at it as a distraction to our day. The question should be, Lord, you allowed it. What do you want in the midst of it? My time isn't my time. It's actually your time. You can use it in whatever way you want to use it. So, Lord, through me, would you use this opportunity in order for me to be a testimony of the gospel of grace? Amen. That's what Paul was doing, and he did it all the time. He had learned to yield. He had learned to submit. He had learned that God is absolutely sovereign over his life. Well, not only is salvation by faith, but his salvation is complete Verse 25, he says, as he was discussing. Now look, catch this with me, because it's really easy to read this really fast and totally miss it. As he was discussing, what was he discussing? He was discussing faith in Christ Jesus. As he was discussing faith in Christ Jesus, and then it kind of breaks it down a little bit. Well, what does that actually look like? What does this discussion of faith in Christ Jesus actually look like? It looks like righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. What a great outline. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Past, present, future. Justification, sanctification, glorification. That's the fancy way of putting it, all right? Made right with God, brought into the kingdom of God, now walking with God with a hope, a certainty of the future with God. Awesome. Forgiveness of sins. All my sins. The ability to overcome temptation because of Christ in me. And the glory that I look forward to because of what God has done on my behalf. There, there's your discussion of faith. I think that's awesome. Think about that. When you come alongside of a believer or unbeliever, you have an opportunity to share with them about faith. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like what does it mean to become a believer? To be justified? To be made right with God? through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he's done for us? What does it mean to walk as a believer where Christ now has come to live within me, where I'm secure in the relationship that I have with him because I'm a child of the king and I have a future, I have a hope, I have an assurance. Paul's talking to him about the fullness, the completeness of the salvation that is in Christ alone. Says Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present. When I find time, I will summon you. Let's look at this a little closer. First of all, righteousness. I've said justification in Christ, just as if I had never sinned. It is being made right with God, it is forgiveness that is absolute. Done. Phase one believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace has accomplished something on our behalf that we cannot have ever accomplished and we cannot pay God back for it. How many times as believers 
Are we doing what we're doing out of guilt? Are we doing what we're doing because we're driven in order to prove the reality of that salvation? Folks, we are to walk in good works. We are to engage in good works. We should be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should be growing in Christ. No questions. But we've got a foundation that's already there. We don't got to try to prove it, and we don't got to try to pay God back for it. It's already done. You're secure in Christ. You can't do anything to make God love you more, and you can't do anything to make God love you less. That's grace. That's called security. Praise God. We get to walk in that because we get to experience our Heavenly Father day by day, moment by moment. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Are, are we able to justify ourselves? Do we have a list that we can take before God and say, Look at all that I've done in order to deserve to be forgiven and enter into heaven? No way. No way. Romans 5, 17 says, If by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Folks, gifts aren't earned. Gifts don't need to be paid back. It's a gift. It's by grace. Or lastly, Romans 10 Verses 3 and following says, Not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who does what? Believes. Paul's speaking to Felix about faith in Christ Jesus, believing in Christ Jesus for salvation. And he's doing it by Three parts, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And the righteousness part, what he's emphasizing here is, Felix, you can try to do this on your own, but you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be able to earn heaven. Now, we don't know exactly all that Paul told him, but we know in 1 Corinthians that Paul makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians that he had actually been taken into the heavens and had been shown things that a man is not able to express. He had seen the resurrected Lord himself. And I can only imagine Paul speaking to Felix passionately, imploring him, brother, listen to me. God can change your life. Believe in Christ Jesus because he has paid something for you, for me, that we could never earn on our own. Self-control, the present, overcoming temptation. How do I walk with the Lord? Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I got it up here on the screen for you as well. I love how Paul writes to the Corinthians about his walk. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games, listen, exercises what? Self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, believers, an imperishable 
Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Self-control is one of the, one of the ideas, the characteristics of love. In Galatians, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, one of the things listed there is self-control. It's a fruit. It's an outflow. It's what God is able to do in transforming us to then reveal through us who he is. Self-control isn't something I just wake up every day and go, oh, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. No, you can do that. But is that the kind of self-control we're talking about? I think the self-control we're talking about is when we yield our lives to Christ and the Lord begins to lead us in what it is that he has for us. What's also interesting is that this word indicates strength under control. Self-control. Who's he talking to? Why does he highlight self-control? Because he's talking to a guy that's got a ton of power. And he's talking to him in such a way as to say, listen, Felix, not only can God save you and forgive you of your sin, because he paid through his son at the cross for those sins, but he can also come to live within you and help you to walk in such a way where there is strength under control. That's pretty cool. He's going right to the heart of it. Felix had a lot of issues when it came to control using his power in ways that weren't necessarily right. Paul's talking to him from this perspective. Felix, you can continue to live your life in such a way where you're trying to do all these good works. You're trying to prove to God how good you are. You're trying to do the right thing all the time, but never knowing whether it's really enough and not being secure of your eternal salvation. Or you can say yes to Christ. You can receive from him the salvation that is in him alone that he's able to accomplish and then experience him every day. Because God in you will help walk with you so that you will begin to be transformed and through you reveal the life of Christ through your actions and your attitudes. Self-control, something the Spirit of God does within us. And lastly, he says the judgment to come, the judgment to come. And I think what Paul's talking to here is, is really two things. Two things. First of all, for unbelievers, what does that judgment look like? We, we call it the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and following, and I, I just took two of these. You can look at the whole passage. But verse 11 says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Awesome picture here of God Almighty. And verse 15 says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the great white throne judgment. It's for unbelievers. If their names are not in the book of life, if they have not received Jesus Christ, if they have not been forgiven and they die in their sin and they end up standing before God Almighty at the great white throne, the Lamb's book of life will be open if their name is not in it. They will face what the Bible calls the second death, which is the lake of fire. And they will be in the lake of fire forever. Forever. 
The second judgment, perhaps what Paul was contrasting here is, Felix, if you want to try to do this on your own and live a good life and be good enough so that you've got a whole list of things to go before God and say, this is why I deserve to come into your heaven. You can do that, brother. <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. You need to be justified before God because of what Christ Jesus, his son, did for us at the cross. And you need to believe in him, have faith in Christ Jesus. God will then come to live within you. You will begin to walk in self-control because as you yield to the Lord, God himself will begin to transform you. And he will guide you and direct you. And then you will have a future that is filled with hope. Because for the believer, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We have a judgment. It's called the Bema Seat where our work is judged, not for the sake of eternal salvation, but rather for reward. Think about that. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Here he's talking about the Bema seat. It's a different judgment. It's for believers. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Fascinating. He's not talking about eternal life. He's talking about have we lived lives yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we walking in such a way where Christ is transforming us and then through us is revealing himself? Are we walking in the good works that God has planned for each and every one of us before even the foundation of the earth was put into place? Are we saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That, for the believer, is going to be judged. 1 Corinthians 3 deals with this. It's going to be tested by fire. If it was not out of faith, what's going to happen to it? If it's not out of faith, what's going to happen? Are we going to get stuck with it around our necks the rest of our eternity? No, it's burned, gone. Anybody else say amen to that? (laughs) If it was in Christ, by faith, And it's tested by fire. It becomes a precious stone. It gets revealed to be something that's eternal. Wow. I have a feeling Paul's talking to him about these things. Say, Felix, you can try to do this on your own, brother. (laughs) Wow. How much do you got to do? And I can't help but wonder what Felix was thinking about in his mind. About all the things that he had done. All the things that were evil, that were wicked, that were unjust. What does it say happened to Felix? Felix became frightened. Wow, interesting, isn't it? I I would put it this way in our Christianese. I would say he was under conviction. He knew. I mean, here's the apostle Paul. How many times had he had been beaten? How many times he had been falsely accused? How many times he had been thrown into prisons? How many times has his life been forfeit for the gospel? How many people had Paul led to Christ? And here he is sitting before Felix, and he's telling Felix, listen, bro, I've experienced the resurrected Christ. He changed my life radically. He can change yours too. And Felix, in his heart, hears the residence. He hears the knocking He hears that voice calling and he slams that door shut. He's frightened. The word frightened, we get our word phobia from it. 
He's petrified. What does he say to him? Go away for the present. And when I find time. Right? There are two words. Every English word, there's two words. Time here is not chronological time. Time here is the right season. He doesn't say, oh, let me check my schedule and maybe 12 o'clock tomorrow we can continue this conversation. That's That's not what he's saying. He's frightened. He's scared to death. He's phobic. He's probably in anguish. Anybody ever been under the conviction of God? I like how my father-in-law used to put it. It's like a, like a mule sitting down on your chest, right? You know that you've sinned. This man is phobic. What does he do? Oh, when the right time comes, I'll listen to you more on these things. Folks, if we put God off, we put God off, we say, oh, well, we'll just do that later. What we're really saying is no to God. Call it for what it is. He slams that door shut. Salvation is complete. Christ alone is able to save. And Paul is sharing the good news of the gospel of grace with this guy. But lastly, his salvation is able to change lives. It's interesting because Felix has a motivation here that Luke brings out. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Felix was waiting for a bribe. Imagine that. He sits down with them under the pretense, I want to hear what you have to say, but really what he's secretly hoping is that Paul will give him some money. It's interesting because in Paul's account to Felix, when some of the Sanhedrin had come, Ananias and Tertullus, the lawyer, had come, and they began to bring charges against Paul, one of the things that Paul said is, I was bringing alms to Jerusalem for my fellow countrymen, my brothers and sisters, Remember, he had raised money from all the Gentile churches and brought it to Jerusalem in order to help take care of the Jewish believers because there was a huge problem with poverty there. I think Felix obviously knew that. Yeah, I think about this. Paul could have perhaps sent out a message by mule. It would have gotten there. I mean, it's not as quick as our day, but it would have gotten there. Hey, guys, let's, let's have, a, have another fundraiser, and we'll pay Felix off because I'm just sitting here, and, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here, and i got a lot of things to do for God, so it would be better to pay the guy off because, truthfully, I, I need to get out back to the Gentiles in order to do what God's called me to do. I mean, you can hear the rationalizations here. Is it better for Paul to be in prison, or is it better for him to be out and about sharing the gospel of grace? And I think in the midst of this, there's an important aspect here. Paul is telling Felix to put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? He's doing that. How many times has he been in prison? He got to see the Lord send an earthquake so that he and Silas could be freed from the Philippian jail. How many times was he rescued? How many times was he brought into safety In miraculous circumstances. Listen, Paul understood something. If God wanted him out of this circumstance, God would get him out of it. Period. 
But evidently, the Lord had something for him in the midst of this circumstance. And he wasn't going to go around God in the name of serving God in order to get it done. He wasn't going to try to use human methods in order to accomplish God's divine purposes. And so he role modeled how God had changed him. His entire life had been transformed by Christ. Let me give you a a few thoughts. God had transformed him from being a religious man to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. From proud, proud. Remember what his name was? What was his name before Paul? Saul. Remember what that means? Do you? Saul means asked for. Asked for. Do you remember what Paul means? It means small. (laughs) From proud, I've studied under Gamaliel. To humble. I don't even deserve to share the gospel of grace. Because I persecuted Christians and I had them put to death. From striving to being at peace. What a beautiful picture of somebody's life has been completely transformed and altered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how Paul was doing what he was doing before he became a believer? For God. Striving in it. we got to kill these Christians because it's not good for Judaism. It's not in God's will. So he's going to take things into his own hands and get it accomplished. Here, what is he doing? He's sitting quietly, sharing about faith in Christ, sharing about what it means to be saved, what it means to walk in that salvation, and the future hope that we have as a result of that salvation. He's sitting, listening quietly, but he's also sharing about the gospel of grace. He's not taking things into his own hands. In humility, he's saying, I'm in God's hands. And lastly, with that thought, from doing for God to trusting in what God can do. Do you catch it? Rather than, I've got to do this for God, it's, oh, let's look at what God can do. You see the difference? What a life. What a transformation. What a salvation that you and I have the opportunity to walk in. Are we walking in it? Is it... (laughs) the air we breathe, that no matter what circumstance the Lord allows us to be in, no matter what it is that God allows us to go through, that through us, God is exhibiting his life in such a way that people who are without God, without hope in this world, recognize we have more than just a religion. We have a relationship, and we actually do trust the Lord. Christ alone is able to save. It's by faith. It's the fullness of that salvation. And there's hope in it because he's able to transform our lives and we can look forward to an eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven forever. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. 
visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.